to Just Curious. We're your hosts, Olivia Messiah and Leilani Fitzpatrick. Hi guys, welcome back to Just Curious. We're back with another episode today. We're talking to our friend from high school, Milo Lynch, and we talked about a lot of different interesting things. We touched on politics, we touched on a concept called Plato's Cave, we touched on ideologies, we talked about the internet, computer science, just lots of different things. It was really, really interesting. But before we get into it, we have a lot of recommendations this week and a few quotes. So both of the quotes are by Plato, and the first quote reads as follows. We can easily forgive a child who is afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. And then the next one is, Welcome out of the cave, my friend. It's a bit colder out here, but the stars are just beautiful. So we really like those two. Yes. <laughs> so Liv, do you want to start with your recommendations before we get into the episode? Okay, yes. I'm actually really excited about my first one. So as you know, we kind of been talking about manifestation and affirmations and just positivity, putting positivity into your life. And I've been wanting to do this for so long and I finally did it. I made myself a vision board. Dun, 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 dun. Oh <laughs> yeah, it took a little while. I'm still working on it. So basically I printed out pictures from the internet. I drew things. I wrote things down. I stuck them on this empty space of wall that I had in my room. I was like, this is such a perfect idea to put this here. And it just motivated me so much to put dreams, aspirations. Some of the aspirations I had were from two weeks from now or a couple months, a year. And then I had things that were like long-term dreams of mine, career goals, friend goals, um, things that I wanted to incorporate into my life and manifest in my life. And I just put them all on a board together. And it was just so, it's, it was so impactful and just positive, um, a positive experience. And every time I look at it, I just feel like, just like I can do anything. I don't know. And that um, I was kind of feeling a little down kind of about the future. I think just being stuck inside just does that to you. And, yeah. you know, I I definitely am a dreamer and I think big about things that I want to do and my goals for my future. So it was just really nice to put them all out there. And I recommend everybody do it, even if it's small, no matter what size it is, to really just like even writing out like all the things that you want to accomplish um, I like the vision board because you can visually see it. Um, you can design, like, I put pictures of my favorite actors on it. Um, I, you know, drew things on it, wrote kind of cool calligraphy, and just, like, made it my own. But, yeah, I think it's a really positive thing that I, I just felt like, I don't know, it's made an impact now, and it's only been a week, so. I love that. I think I might have to do that tonight. That it was so like fun. fun activity. I was just, yeah. like, listening to, um, like, music. And just cutting things out, drawing things, like putting things on the wall. It was just such a vibe. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, might have to do that. Um, okay, my first recommendation. I've been wanting to talk about this for so long, but I finally finished it. I wanted to finish the series before I could talk about it. And Liv, if you haven't seen this, you need to see this because this is right up your alley. So if you love true crime, I think I know what you're you going to talk about this. this. I think I know what you're talking about. No. Okay. Evil Genius. Oh. The True Story of America's Most Diabolical Bank Heist on Netflix. That was a mouthful, but <laughs> it's four episode series. It says season one, but I don't think there's going to be anything further because they really wrapped it up at the end. But it's about the pizza bomber mystery that occurred in 2003, I think, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And it is just the most fascinating tale 
fail. Like it kept me like on the edge of my seat, <laughs> for lack of a better phrase, like till the end of the fourth episode, which is the last one. So there's two people who created it. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the guys, um, or one of the people who worked on this, and, like directed it and produced it and all of that is actually one of the people who was like heavily involved in the investigation. Like he wasn't a police trooper or anything. He just had contact with like so many of the different suspects. So he really got like a deeper insight that I've never really seen in any sort of murder or any other crime like this. Yeah. And the crime itself is like really interesting. And yeah, so I, I don't want to give too much I away, did not think you were going to say that. I really? wrote this down. What yeah. did you think I was going to say? I thought you were going <laughs> to still talk about Dead to Me, but you finished that already. Oh my God. I can't wait for the next season. That's a good one. I yeah. have to watch it. I, I will watch it. I've seen ads for it and I know people who also really like it as well. It's amazing. Yeah, I would recommend both of these. Both completely different, but yeah. I love that. You'll love this. My next recommendation, which I almost said while I was talking about my vision board, is the music that I was listening to when I was making my vision board. I don't know why I'm talking like this, but was Taylor Swift's Folklore album. Oh my god. Oh my gosh. Guys. So Lay talked about it like in the last one and then I literally immediately after listened to the whole album. It is phenomenal. It's so good. It's it's like her old stuff but not. It's different. This is a new evolved grown Taylor and it is so thoughtful. Every song is so thoughtful and just I love it. I love everything about this album. I love the cover work, the kind of the theme that she has going on. I just I feel like we've been all waiting for this. And I honestly think, like, her last two albums could, like, never have happened. And I would have waited five years to hear this album. Right? Like, yes. It's so good. It's so What's good. What's your like, favorite song? Um, okay, I'm gonna have to go on Spotify. I love the one. That's such a vibe. Um, I love that one. Because I remember when I first talked about it, you were like, I really like Cardigan. Yeah. You're like, that's my favorite. Yeah. Okay, do you still like I could Cardigan? not get behind that one. Oh, I still I like why. it. I still, I just like the... I like the tune. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I love the one cardigan, the last great American dynasty. I love seven. Exile's good, but I don't know what it is. It's just like not my mood. Oh, I just love I love This Is Me Trying, Invisible String, Peace. Betty's like the one that I actually don't love the best, not gonna lie. Yeah, it used to be one of my top ones, but I can't listen to it anymore. Like my sister thought it was about friendship and I was like, no no no. Zara. Oh. She was like, it's so cute. There's never songs about friendship. And then I wanted to, like, keep her in this. I was like, yeah. But then I was like, no, <laughs> no, Zara. We were listening to it. And they were, like, talking about <laughs> kissing or whatever. And I was like, this is not a friendship. She's like, really? <laughs> I was like, no. I honestly love them all. Epiphany. I I like the song Peace a lot. I think I just said that. But um, 7 August. Even My Tears Ricochet. Ricochet. How do, how do I say that? Ricochet. Ricochet. Yeah. Um, I just, wow. They're all fire. Yeah. Yeah. Just great. Anyway. Um, so yeah, that's my next rec. I just, I feel like the album's like not old, but it's been out for like a couple weeks now. This might be a late thing to say, but if you haven't listened to it already, listen to it now. If you've only listened to it halfway, listen to it again. And if you've already heard it, listen to it again. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. Definitely give it a chance, because um, I know Taylor is not for everyone, but I think people should at least give it a listen. You know, you might surprise yourself. Yeah, and I played it for Ella. I played the one for her yesterday, and she had no idea it was Taylor Swift. She's like, this is such oh a cute gosh. song. I was like, yeah, this is, hello, this is Taylor's new album. Check it out. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. Um, my next recommendation is also music. Uh, it's also an album. And you might like this too, Liv. Mm-hmm. I feel like I kind of know your music taste, but I also feel like I don't at all. That's how I feel about my music taste. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a little funky album, like funky songs, and it's called I'm Allergic to Dogs by Remy Wolf. Okay. And I had never heard, I think it's a girl, I've never heard of this person before, but I found this, some random person I follow on Instagram posted this on their story, and I love listening to new music yeah. and like discovering new music, so I was like, I'll give it a try. I'm obsessed with it. It's only... Wait, let me see. I'm allergic to dogs. I'm, like, writing all this down. Not joking. Oh, my God. The album cover is iconic. There's only five songs. Okay, that... Yeah, five songs. I like every single song. It's 16 minutes. Wow, I didn't even realize it was that short. But it's really, really good. My favorite... It's like photo booth or something. I can't even tell. I don't know. But my favorite song is the second one, which is called Woo. (laughs) But I really like all of them. Photo ID is really good. I mean, honestly, they're all really good. And they're all super funky and super different. And yeah, I really recommend. I haven't listened, honestly, to her other music. It looks like she's come out with some new songs since this Yeah, one called Monte Carlo. Yeah. A lot of people listen to her. I'm excited. I'm going to listen to this for real. Yeah, so super cool, super funky, super pop, very fun to listen to. She gives me, like, New York energy. Yeah, I was just feeling that. Yeah. My next recommendation is the greatest podcast, and it's called Nice White Parents. You guys have to listen to this, okay? No joke. I think the third episode just came out, um, and it's all about the New York public school system and how it's segregated and the history of it and how kind of white parents are have a huge impact on what happens um, in public schools and schools in general, who goes to these schools. It's so interesting. It's, I, yeah, it's just, you get a lot of information. I think the same people who made Serial are making this. It's a different woman talking, I'm pretty sure. But, um, yeah, so, and it's a New York Times podcast. Anyway, it's really good, and it's on all the top charts right now. Every time a new episode comes out, it's, like, number one. So I really recommend listening to it, and I can't wait for it to keep going um, and to just, like, hear more and more about it. And you learn a lot. Like, it's crazy how just like messed up the world is and how New York City, which has like probably one of the most segregated school systems in the country, like still today. Um, Really? Yeah. And you kind of learn about why that is. And yeah, it's really interesting. Wow. I'm definitely going to give that a listen. I just wrote it down. Um, I actually only have one last recommendation and you just reminded me of this before we started recording. I am one of the few people who did not know who Chris Clemens was until about like two You're weeks lying. ago when yeah I listened to Claudia Slusky's and Phineas's podcast we bought a house which I think I've talked about before which you should all listen to but they did an episode with Chris and it was probably the funniest thing I've ever heard he's hilarious he's so funny I don't know how I don't know how I haven't like I've heard of him but I don't know why I never gave him a chance and I really believe like that is his personality like he is I think it 100% is 100% who he is on the internet yeah and I only follow his Instagram but I'm pretty sure he has a YouTube yes and... oh my god that's how they became friends YouTube well actually I don't know how they became friends but <laughs> Claudia and him were like both on YouTube at the same time yeah I know I need to now subscribe to him because I think he's genuinely the funniest person 
I've ever heard. And I'm normally not someone who like likes people who like try to be funny, but I don't think he's trying. Like I think it's just him. You know what yeah. I mean? And I love it. So yeah. yeah, you gained a new fan, Chris. And <laughs> yeah, I can't say enough good things. There's about an, him. like a couple. There's one where he's like working out while high. So funny. There's one. There's a bunch where he's like on the streets of New York or just various cities. And he's interviewing people or like talking to people on the street. That's what I heard is like his main thing. Yeah, that, he that's he does a lot of that now. It didn't used to be that. Um, but all his videos are funny. And you can stop watching him for like months and then watch a video and then like go down the rabbit hole again because he's just always putting out great stuff. Yeah, he's so funny. That might be me tonight. That and a vision board. <laughs> yeah, watch Chris Clemens vision board. Love it. Okay, those are all our recs. So we're just going to get into the video. I mean, not the video, the podcast. Whoa. Um, yeah, we hope you like it. It was so interesting talking to Milo about all this stuff. It was something that I don't think I've thought about in this particular way. Yeah, same. Anyway, without further ado. Hey guys, we're back with Milo. Um, we're so excited to have you. Thank we you. think it's going to be a really fun conversation today. Would you like to give a little intro of yourself really quickly? Hey, I'm Milo. I went to high school with both of them. They were both very lovely and interesting in high school. And it turns out two years removed, they're still both very lovely and interesting. And so I'm honored to be on this podcast. Um, So I went to Santa Cruz after I left Murray when I was with them, which is a college in California, which is five hours by plane away from where I lived. And it turned out that was a bad idea because Santa Cruz did not work out for me before COVID happened. So I knew I was coming home in March. (laughs) <laughs> and then at the end of March, I learned the world was ending. Um, so uh, that is like a brief history of my life after high school. Um, I have a wreck. Oh my um, gosh. This, this is a book I read um, after, uh, after kind of failing out of my first college. It's called Designing Your Life. I love it. Um, it has a lot of good things. Um, it talks about just paying attention to. Oh, it's by, um, it's by two guys, actually. It's by... Um, Bill Burnett and David Ennis. I'd never heard of either, either of them, but it was really, uh, it was really good. Amazing. I'm going to write that down. I actually am looking for new books to read. So yeah, thank you. So I guess jumping in to this episode, what, what do you want to talk about today with us? Okay. There's a few things. So I have, I have topics written down that, um, that we can go into. And I've talked a few of these about a few of these before to you guys. So me, what have I been doing? Um, and that goes into computer science. Um, that's kind of, that's the direction that my life is taking right now. And then I want to talk to you guys about ideology because um, I've heard you guys talking about manifest or manifestation um, on this podcast. And my introduction to manifesting is very different. And my whole ideas about it are very different um, because from what I've heard on your podcast, manifestation is about like what you can do with your own life. But I observe manifestation on kind of how groups of people manifest ideologies together, especially in the social media age. It's easier than ever. And manifesting ideologies can be good and it can be very, very bad. (laughs) Um, And I'm here to talk about both of those things. And uh, that gets into the ideas of Plato's Cave. And then um, I don't know if you want to just jump into that right now or... um... Yeah, I mean, let's start with the computer science. So how did you... Um, just like a little background on you. How did you get into computer science and how did that inform kind of your feelings about manifestation and everything? 
Okay. Yeah, that's great. So I entered college as a chemistry major because I had no idea what I was doing in high school. And then I remember I, that I, ha- I actually had a five on the AP chem test, but um, oh, we're going to, we're going to getting to roasting Santa Cruz because I hate that school. I couldn't place out of my intro chem class, even with my five. So I had to take essentially the chem class we took in 10th grade. And so I immediately switched majors within my first week and t- started to do game design, but I couldn't do computer science game design, which is what I really wanted to do. I had to be in the art side of game design. So for two years, I essentially had a classes that were, I would describe as game design philosophy classes, which were very cool, but also not practical and useful at all. Um, so I kind of see almost everything through the lens of game design now um, because I was so steeped in it for two years. And with that idea, um, you know, role play was a big was a big idea. And just even what just defining play, what does play actually mean, um, was something that was a really big thing for me initially. And then after I realized that you can't get paid for design theory, really, I had to I had to switch I had to switch into something else. Um, and also Santa Cruz, my experience there just kind of exploded in general. Um, so after I left, I. Um, I found um, there's these online um, crash courses, no boot camps. There's coding boot camps that have become a big thing, um, and so I'm in, I'm enrolled in a coding boot camp, and it, I had to pay them. And supposedly after the boot camp, uh, they they'll get me a job. Um, and so it's like I, I'm I'm actually in the middle of doing my pre work. Um, so I have a hundred hours of pre work before I start my boot camp on August 24th, and then it's. 40 hours a week from August until December. Um, wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be quite the, uh, quite the experience, hopefully, but hopefully I'll learn a lot. Um, yeah. I want to go back to you in chemistry because for the podcast, Milo and I were in AP chemistry together, which was a great idea for Milo and a bad idea. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was great. It was great. I and I think whole class saw me like cry, break down, just like look so miserable. I think everybody was wondering why I was in that class. Um, but Milo helped me through it. And I remember before you went to college, you were like, yeah, I'm going to, because you love chemistry so much. You were like, yeah, I'm going to be a chill chemist in California. Yeah. Um, yeah, that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> How did you encounter um, manifestation? Um, I mean, so I encountered manifestation far more implicitly um, than you guys who I would say talk about manifestation more explicitly. And what I mean by that is um, just the, so like I, I already known that I, I consider myself a very lucky person. And what that does for you is it, is it lets you look for opportunities kind of obviously it's, it's almost like a form of arrogance where since you expect the world to give you opportunities, you actively look for those opportunities, which kind of is manifestation, at least the way I, I understand it. Because like, if you think, if you think about trying to do something like going on a podcast, then you hear, um, hear your old friends that they have a podcast and you, you call them once and then you're on a podcast. Like, right. Just, yeah. just by letting your, just by not saying no <laughs> and just by not being closed off, it's very easy to manifest the life you want. Yeah. Maybe. We'll put a picture in our Instagram post of this book. Cause I'm actually really interested. In yeah. It. This book is yeah. a big, this book is in a lot of ways is actually my introduction to manifestation. Cause it talks a lot about similar themes kind of chapter, if I was to read you the chapter titles, because the chapter titles are yeah. kind of the best part of the book. Start where you are is chapter one. Building your compass is chapter two. Wayfinding is chapter three. Getting unstuck. So you can kind of see it's, I was in a really kind of dark place when I started reading this book. Right. My mom got me this book. Mm-hmm. And 
kind of beginning to get yourself unstuck. And one of the things that this, this actually goes into computer science too. One of the things that I firmly believe as a computer scientist and as someone who designs your life, for something to be a problem or something for me to consider it a problem, it actually has to have a solution that I can control to some right. degree. So like politics and the world, I think for a lot of people has been very frustrating. I'm privileged that it doesn't frustrate me to a certain point, but also it's not something I should kind of spend all of my time focusing on because I'm not really going to get anywhere. And I'm going to kind of keep myself in this cycle of you're just stuck. And that's not helpful. Once again, in, with that specific example, I'm lucky that COVID isn't a huge problem for me. Um, but you have to not consider it a problem. You have to consider it kind of more like a statement. If, you can't, if, it's a, if it's a problem that you really can't solve, it's something you have to work around, not try to work through because you can't work through it. That's the whole idea there. I had lots of problems in college and eventually the workaround became leave because there was no other option. Right. Um, and so once, once leave, once I knew I was leaving college, because not only did I have academic issues there, I had social issues, I had living issues. My life became so easy because since I knew I was leaving, it was very, I just kind of let people come to me or go away as they please because I knew, I knew where I stood. And once, once, like, one of the first things that this book says is start where you are. Once you know where you are, it's, it's, very, it's much easier to kind of think about where you wanna go. And I really think that a lot of people don't know where they are. Like, it's a, it's a huge privilege and it's very hard to know where you are. Um, so yeah, that's, that's manifestation kind of as I explained it and as I learned it in my, in my own life. I learned it very dynamically. And when I heard you guys talking about it, I was like, oh, I've gone through all these things without that language. Um, right. Yeah. I think that's a really unique experience that I've never heard in regards to manifestation. And I think that's great that you shared that. You mentioned Plato's Cave. And I know I've heard about it before because I did take a philosophy class, I think, last year or last semester, I can't quite remember. Um, but I'd love to hear you explain that to us and how it relates to everything you're talking about. So Plato's cave is actually pretty different. Plato's cave is, um, is the idea, actually, I have the um, Plato's cave meaning up on my Google right now. Um, the allegory of, of the cave meaning. Plato's allegory of the cave is a concept devised by the philosopher on the nature of belief versus knowledge. And that's what it gets to, because that's something that I wanted to talk about to you guys that isn't about me explicitly. Because Plato's cave was an idea that scared Plato and that whole Greek like group of kind of the beginning of democracy, at least the way I learned it here in the West, and Plato was scared of Plato's cave because what it meant to him was if you can control the lights and sounds in a cave and put kind of shadow puppets on the wall, you can, you can convince people of a new reality in the cave. So, so the, full, the, full, um, the full example would be like, I kidnap you, I put you in a cave, and then I only let you see one wall, and I use the fire and smell and maybe drugs or other things to convince you that I'm, maybe you're seeing creation itself. Um, and that, but that, that's more in Plato's terms. What it means to me is if you aren't careful, you like, you can convince people <laughs> that the world is very much not what it seems. And the reason why Plato's cave is such a big idea for me today is because I think it's actually a lot more of a terrifying and a real idea today. We actually have a window directly into Plato's cave in all of our houses. And what I mean by that is, especially in the era of COVID, where it's harder to go outside, it's harder to meet people face to face. Um, you can get very trapped in your own reality, extremely trapped in your own reality. I don't know if you guys can put this to your podcast, but um, drugs and other things help help you 
help you kind of see reality in a different way. They can also okay. be abused for sure. When I was in, when I was in my darkest place. I mean, yeah, place, you can talk about it. Yeah. When I was in my, when I was in my darkest place, I actually ended up doing um, psychedelic mushrooms. Um, okay. And those are a trip. They are really not <laughs> like anything I've ever experienced before in my life. Yeah. Um, and they were a very positive experience for me. They were extremely intense experience. I do not recommend them for children. <laughs> you have to be a you have to be a full-on adult to handle something like that. But it it actually it actually was very helpful. But it also shrooms especially let me know how kind of malleable my reality is. Um, right. And since since I've been shrooms and in general, I can kind of like change the color of things in my mind. Like if I if I if I really want to think about let me grab my bottle of sunscreen over the year. There's kind of like a little red hue because I know I'm thinking about the bottle of sunscreen. Just it's oh very, God. it's very slight. Um, but it's but it's it's visualization. I like mm-hmm. and what I what I want to talk about with you guys today about ideology is if I can do that on an individual basis and kind of design my life the way I want to. If you're not careful, the internet and Plato's cave. The, or the idea of Plato's Cave, which is the idea of convincing someone else of their own reality. It's kind of like Inception. We are already in a world where wars are not fought with guns in, in the first world. They're fought with ideology. I, I think that's, I think the last four years of politics has shown me that. Um, and what that's gotten to me today is like, where do we go from here in this world where if every single human wanted to start looking through everything that's been on Facebook ever, like it would take the whole human population, like a thousand years to do it because there's right. so much stuff on the internet. It really is like we have access to this kind of world beyond our own through these um, computers and we don't give it the respect it deserves, um, in my opinion. All right. Yeah. I talked for a little bit. No, uh, you're good. Like, do you mean that um, that kind of Plato's cave, like our Plato's cave of today is the internet and how we can warp our reality, like based on what we see? Yeah. And it's, it's also a lot more kind of uh, malicious than that. So the internet depends on you continuing to use the internet. So the internet, it's in the internet's interest to show you things that it thinks will continue to keep you on the internet. <laughs> so it's, it's we're, we have this system now where the internet is going to let you choose your own reality. It lets you choose the reality you want to see very easily. And it's very easy to, to not like, once again, I don't want to get too political, but I never thought because I was in I was in Taiwan and when we were in Taiwan um, people wore masks when they were sick yeah I never thought that yeah. in in the reality of America people would choose really to not wear masks because because that's that's what they want and masks are very politicized right now so I'm not sure if some if, if our president was just like wear a mask I'm not sure it would happen to the degree it does but that's what I'm talking about you find evidence second in in this thing like you 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 take your side and then it's very easy to take your side first and then just find any evidence that supports the claims you want to know. Um, if you want to go to a darker, more specific place, we can talk about incels. Incels are a online, I don't, an online ideology is the best way I can describe them. Um, let's see. Involuntary celibacy. That is what incels are. And what involuntary celibacy stands for is being celibate, not of your own choosing, which that's a real thing. But the culture of incels is absurd, for lack of a better word. They've taken something called the uh, the black pill, which comes from the red pill and the blue pill. Um, that That's from um, the Matrix, 
where you can okay what what's that okay so the matrix is is a movie about reality mm-hmm. i still haven't seen it sorry <laughs> you, you should you should watch the matrix uh live it's uh it's a very kind of important movie for computers i don't i don't know you should you should watch the matrix anyway what the meaning of that thing is is if you take i, I might get this wrong if you take the, the red pill you see reality if you take the blue pill you kind of stay asleep in the dream world that's fake but the black pill is something the incels made up because the black pill is the most absurd version of romance reality I've ever heard. So the black pill is the idea that women are evil, women are evil, and they only want to be with attractive men. That's the, uh, the only thing they've ever wanted. They want nothing beyond that. It's, it's incredibly insulting how, how, how they understand this stuff. But, but this, this is their ideology, and they just, they just go over and over and over these ideologies in chat rooms and work themselves more and more and more up into, these, um, into the sunken place, I guess. Right. Like if you say something enough times to yourself, you start to believe it. Yeah. And what I mean by Plato's cave is you, ha- you, you get in an incel chat room, you basically get only people who believe this stuff and then it becomes a feedback loop. That's really kind of the big picture of what I'm concerned about and what I want to talk to you guys about, about a, a bad form of maybe group manifestation where a group can start to manifest this bad energy and convince themselves it's their reality using the idea of Plato's cave. And that's kind of the world we live in um, to some some degree where I, I would say the incels are an extreme example of this, but Twitter mm-hmm. in general is a much more mild example of similar ideas. Um, and I don't think Twitter is bad. <laughs> Let me just preface it like that. But what I do think is the First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason. And speech is one of the most complicated rights Americans have. And we have no idea how to properly regulate speech on the internet. And it's one of the weirdest things we that our generation has to deal with and like if you if you think about trump because we we are gonna get on topic trump is the most prolific twitter user i've ever seen for a president Um, (laughs) he essentially he essentially won his 2016 because of his twitter use yeah Um, and that's something that certainly i wasn't expecting um i don't think anyone in the democratic party was expecting i don't think anyone in the republican party was expecting and he ran so actually quick aside here yeah Um, my uh my dad ran a trip to India. Uh, did either of you go on that trip? I don't know. No. But um, one of the things he talked about, and this, this also might have been in a book I read for a class for uh, Miss Levinson, is in India, between the airport and the city, though I don't, I don't remember which city, there's these signs that say beautiful forever. And the signs that say beautiful forever are actually covering up the slums from the perspective of the highway. So if you're a rich American, driving from the airport to the city, you don't see the slums. You just see beautiful forever, beautiful forever, beautiful forever. And that's really on the nose of kind of Plato's cave making the reality what you want to see it. For me, Make America Great Again is Trump's version of beautiful forever, where it's very thinly veiled racism, sexism, misogyny, but it's just enough that people can choose to pretend it's not that, and then they can vote for it. Um, and hopefully in November this time, that doesn't work again. It doesn't take a lot to let people choose the reality that they want to see, um, is, what I'm, is, what, is really kind of the main point of what I came on to say. And it's, it's on all of us to think about how do we make sure that talk isn't so cheap. <laughs> so I don't really know, because I know it's a big issue, like, Trump's some of Trump's tweets have been tagged as like misinformation stuff like that and we have like freedom of speech so it's like what is the answer do we you know do we do something about speech or do we let people just say whatever they want and then people choose whether or not to believe it freedom of speech to me is such a such a funny 
thing because when freedom of speech was invented, you actually had to show your face to talk because it was like the 1700s and you didn't have cell phones. So if you said something absurd back then, you'd, you'd probably get punched in the face. Now you can say anything you want from, from the security of your own home. You can be a keyboard warrior and not have to show your face. And that's a big distinction in my opinion. And it's a kind of an oversight in the first amendment that I don't know what the solution is. I'm not that, I'm not that smart, but it is clearly a problem because the original cost of freedom of speech, because there does need to be a cost for your speech, clearly, was that people ha- would recognize you as the person who said it. And then if you said something absurd, you'd get a reputation. If, if your name is XXX Anime Lover God, and that's your Twitter handle, no one knows who you are. No one knows what you look like when you say anything you want on Twitter. And so because you actually don't have to own what you say, the idea of trolling becomes much more appealing to people because they don't pay a cost. And so that is the kind of thing I'm worried about. And I, w- I don't want to like suppress speech or anything like that, but I also like, there is clearly a problem. <laughs> people really can't handle being able to say whatever they want with anonymity. Like they use it for not good reasons um, for the most part. Doesn't Twitter now have a thing where they say under tweets or something, anything, well, yeah, tweets. Well, they say under tweets, this may be wrong or this, what do they say? I, I don't know. I, I mean, I know Twitter, I know Twitter tries to do something, but, but the, then it's not legal. It's like company by company. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then um, also there's a whole thing about Facebook, right? Should Facebook take down all this stuff? Because I do think it is a problem. And like with the incel stuff that you were talking about, I feel like white supremacists are the same thing. I guess any group of people, like even, you know, the people that I surround myself with, if I start like believing what they're saying and I start agreeing with them. But I feel like there's positive and negatives to that. It's hard because everything could literally be, you know, a Plato's cave. Yeah, well, well there's, there's a lot of differences. Um, and so what I'm talking about is I, I worry about essentially not face-to-face and I would even consider this different um the fact that we're zooming and we can kind of see each other's body language very different than the way the incels communicate so um when I when I the two main things I read um, when I read about the incels is there's incel uh forums where they just kind of host their life stories and I mean truly they're absurd stories um I I don't recommend you read them it's just the darkest thoughts of people who are hiding in their basements. Um, and then the other thing I read is kind of their definitions. Um, cause they, they have, they have like a, a dictionary website where like they have like all of their definitions and those are more amazing because of Wikipedia. People have learned kind of how to talk smart without being smart. So what I mean by that is they'll be like, we did this scientific study where we made uh, a Tinder account with like a model with like a blonde model. And then a blonde male model. And then their, um, then their bio is like, I just want to let you know that I've had three instances where I've gotten uh, in trouble for sleeping with minors, but all of them have been dropped. This is fake. This is fake. This is, this is incels making a fake, fake Tinder account and then, and using a model, not, not an actual person. And then saying the model like might be a, a child rapist. And then when, when the model gets matches on Tinder, they use as evidence that women are all evil. So like, this is, this is, that's their idea of science. Um, and that, that is something that they actually did. And they, they showed the screenshots and the bios and people did match with them. 
But I mean, they put a model in London. Like people aren't even going to read the bio when they swipe. Um, and then that's using someone's face too, which is like really problematic. Like if somebody yeah. was using my face as a fake catfish or something, that would totally freak me out. Yeah, it was a huge catfish. So do you think there's any way for Americans to somehow escape the Plato's cave like oh, on the yeah. internet? The question to me becomes, are we our brother's keeper? So what the Trump presidency showed me is there's kind of these huge holes in, in, in our society, and I'm talking about America here, that I didn't really realize, and, and they're a problem. And so one of the people I actually feel the worst for in all this um, in all this kind of turmoil is is poor white people. Because to me, Trump is poor white people's anger. And Trump is not going to help poor white people pretty clearly. Um, he's just going to allow them to get mad about statues and all these other horrible things. But the opioid crisis and a number of other things, uh, and just like not letting Medicare, not letting even versions of Medicare for all happen while we're in the middle of a pandemic is insane to me because the people who in some ways are the most at risk are his voters. Like old white people are the most at risk for this stuff. And my grandfather, who is a Trump voter, does not believe in the coronavirus. And I'm convinced he's going to die um, because he's like 80 years old and he's like, it's fake. And I'm like, no, dude, put on a mask. It's so weird to me what American politics has become, but it's American schools, it's American institutions, it's American people who's let this happen. What I, what I want to do in some ways is with the advent of technology, education has become much more available. And college used to be a really good idea when you could only get that information at college. Now you can get good, reliable information if, you're, if, you're criti if you think critically on the internet um, and you can learn a lot just from the internet. And so what that makes me think is if you can provide a philosophical education and kind of a computer science education as a public good, publicly funded for anyone, that can begin to brainwash all of society the way us liberals want it brainwashed. Um, not really. <laughs> um, but what I, uh, what I do think is there's a way of talk that can be very helpful. And when I watch Tucker Carlson and Ben Shapiro, they're, they're literally ideologues. Like I didn't, I didn't know what an ideologue was until I watched them where they, they're like, the liberals are evil. They're out to get you. Um, <laughs> they want to replace your job. Like, and then, and then you get, you get thinly veiled racism sexism, anti-Semitism very quickly because they're not there to offer solutions. They just need that vote. And I guess what I think a real solution would be is if you actually bring up the intelligence of all of, them, of Americans as a whole, instead of just kind of keeping in isolated pockets, you could reach a concentration <laughs> where you get enough people wearing masks that COVID isn't such a problem. Yeah. I mean, I just think that's like really hard because I feel like, especially with Trump now, little things are being politicized. Like public health shouldn't be a Republican or Democrat issue, right? Like yeah. the virus doesn't care who you are. You know, Trump wants to keep people uneducated. He doesn't want people asking questions because then it's like Plato's cave. People start asking questions, then they get out of the cave. Or whatever, oh my God, there's right? a light at the end of the tunnel. Right, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and they see it for what it was. With all of that, being said, and we've talked about a lot of different but related things today, and I think it's been a really valuable and really insightful conversation. You talked about a lot of things that I had never even considered, but do you have like a piece of advice for people who are like anything related to what we've talked about today? Yes, uh, learn some computer science. So, computer science to me 
uh, is actually the study of language and information um, and how it's manipulated now. I now know loosely uh, nine or so programming languages. Computer science is a discipline, and when you're in high school, I guess this would be more like my advice to high schoolers. In high school, things are split up more like by history and art. Computer science is history. It is art. It is math. It is science. It is English. It is Chinese. It's all of those things. And in today's world, if you aren't essentially a producer of content yourself, not knowing computer science is going to be a huge disadvantage, and it's going to be a Basically, it's going to be a new form of inequality. In this country, we're so rich that we have very complicated legal language um, because every because everything is so flush with money. And computer science is another thing that if you can't understand computer science language, there's a lot of jargon. I could start talking about um, uh, REPLs and like arrays and just other things that if you don't if you're not in that world, it's going to be harder for you to penetrate through to what I'm talking about. So once you start to have a background in computer science or just, just not even a background, just some understanding, it really makes you look at um, the world differently um, because I can now, if I want to, I can go to any web page, I can open up developer console tools if I'm in Chrome and I can start, search, I can start searching through the HTML. Um, HTML stands for hypertext markup language um, and that is what a majority of the internet is written in and I can find things that might not be uh, visible on the screen. <laughs> Here, here's a little bit of information for you guys. Uh, href, H-R-E-F stands for hypertext reference. Um, and that just, that just means a link. Um, and so Google is, a, is what's called a web crawler. And I made a web crawler for uh, online class I took. And all that means is I go to HTML pages. I find all the href tags and I, put them on the screen so you can click all the links. And Google is the best web crawler there is um, because it, it essentially goes to Wikipedia or some other page and just starts clicking all the links and grabs all the pages it can find on the internet and then displays them to you. So Google isn't actually doing some magical thing. It's doing something very simple. Um, it's, just, it's just parsing through HTML, looking for that href tag, and then printing it out on your screen. That very simple idea dynamically will get you a hundred billion results when you type in uh, cats on uh, in Google. Um, but yes, yeah, so my, my, my advice is you should not be ignorant in the world of computer science if you can be, because it's a, it's a huge advantage. Um, and it's honestly, it's just incredibly powerful. Like if I need to send them, if I ever need to send like 500 emails, I would never actually send those emails at this point. I would make a piece of code that would send those emails for me. Coding, coding is so amazing. So like, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'm a, I'm a huge math nerd. I've always loved math, but infinity has always been kind of a weird thing for me. Like what is, what is infinity? It's, it's not really a number, but it, I, I could explain infinity in like two lines of code. Uh, so there's this thing in coding called a while loop where you say while, and then you have a condition um, and it executes, it executes that condition while that uh, condition is true. So in this case, our while loop is just while true. So this will just always happen. While true, print n plus one. And what that's going to do, assuming n is starting at zero, is it's just going to print to your screen one, two, three, four, five, and go on forever. And it's, it's not going to stop going until your computer breaks, until you exit the program because you don't want your computer to just print numbers forever. Um, it's just counting. But that's, that's essentially what infinity is. But you can tell your, you can tell, because it's never going to get there, but it's just going to keep approaching it. So what are like things that, 
let's say I know nothing about com computer science, like what's something that I can, you know, that's not too complicated that I can go look up or whatever, just to kind of understand the language. Cause I feel like, you know, a lot of the world right now is on the internet, right? And using computers and stuff. If you're, if you're in this generation, you're gonna have some kind of implicit computer science knowledge. Um, but now that, we're, now that we're actually talking about computer science, I wanna uh, talk to you guys about a term called full stack. And full stack is a software development term that I'm learning about. And what that means is when you develop an application um, or anything full stack, it means you're talking about both front end and back end. And front end is what you see. So you, everything you see on the internet is front end. That's like, that's, that's your beautiful forever right there. That's, that's your Plato's cave, front end. Back end is the people, or not even the people in this case, it's just the behind the scenes operations that aren't pretty, that aren't um, what is seen, obviously. So if, if you want to get an idea of what full stack is, when you, when you start, when you make a computer, the lowest level language, the language that's closest to the metal is, um, or not assembly, it's binary, just zeros and ones. And zeros and ones were originally when Alan Turing like made the first computer, though a bunch of Alan Turing's ideas actually, I believe, came from a woman in like 1800s, which I didn't know about. It was fucking insane for me. Yeah. I feel this is such a bad reference, but it was Benedict Cumberbatch, Alan Turing in that movie? Yes. Okay. It's, that's a fantastic movie. Okay, great. Uh, what was that? What was the movie called? Um, the uh, Imitation Game, I believe. Great movie. Yeah, sorry. I know exactly who you're talking about now. Fantastic movie. I don't know how, how accurate it was, but it, it really it made Alan Turing awesome. It was sad. Oh, it's very sad. And it's true. Alan Turing was gay and was killed for it, even though he essentially won the Second World War for, uh, for Britain. If you haven't watched that movie, you should go watch it. Another good wreck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um but anyway let me get back on topic um so when you're close to the metal like when alan turing was doing his thing he was actually physically programming um which means the program was part of the machine like it wasn't digital um we're so advanced now that we essentially have virtual computers which means it's all represented with electricity and light and other things and so if you go, if you go up that stack if you go from the metal which is electrical engineering and i know nothing about that then you go to binary then you go to this thing called assembly language and at this point you still have to essentially physically allocate memory and what that means is if you try to do something like if you tried to like do anything on your computer it might just say like we don't have memory for it you have, the first thing you have to do is be like open up some memory um so it's it's insane it's horrible programming at that level i don't recommend it for anyone but once you go higher up you go from assembly to something like c and then you go from c to something like python and you go from python to some html or css and now once you once you get there then you can start showing it to people um okay cool i've definitely heard of python um this is a whole new thing for me but i I think it's really interesting and I really agree with you that it, it is a language um, and it's a whole new way of living in the 21st century and that if we're using computers and we're using this stuff, we should know how to speak its language or at least understand like the bare minimum of what we're doing. Thank you so much for being on this podcast. Yeah, thank you, Milo. Thank you, guys. I feel like we should have another conversation about this because there's so much to unpack and talk about. Briefly, have you heard Elon Musk, I think? Maybe this is a rumor, but he wants to put chips in us. Oh, yeah. Is it a Neuralink? Yeah, I actually, I actually took a class with a guy who... Um, uh, so I, when I was in Santa Cruz, I took a class with this guy, David Hausler, who, if you look him up, is like the fourth ranked computer scientist in the world. Whoa. 
Um, and that's a fake list, and who knows what that even means. But he was the guy who sequenced the genome, um, the human genome for Santa Cruz in the 2000s. And uh, when I was over there, I met some people. I met this guy. I met a few guys. Like, David Hellister is such a big deal. He, he had this guy, Harry Knoller, come talk for our class. And Harry Knoller has won every single scientific award, save the Nobel Prize. Like, the guy is a huge deal. And one of the guys that I, I kind of met through David uh, was, and also family connection, my mom's friend, was this Silicon Valley guy um, named Robert Curry. And he didn't necessarily work for Elon Musk, but he was very excited about Neuralink. That's what you're talking about. And uh, that's this whole other field that I have that maybe maybe that can be our next podcast about um, biotechnology. And Yeah, that can be our next podcast. That's kind of like Plato's Cave, right? Oh, it's, it's, it's actually way scarier than Plato's Cave. Plato's Cave is about making a reality that doesn't exist feel real Neuralink is about making reality fucking insane <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god yeah it's kind of freaks me out we should definitely do another one just talking about that stuff and maybe maybe it can actually uh, talk to Robert and get him to come on the podcast and talk about it wow oh my gosh that would be super cool yeah definitely yeah so thank you so much Milo again for coming on our podcast we can't wait for everyone to hear this conversation thank you so much we hope to have have you on again <laughs> talking about biotechnology and all that sort of stuff um yeah we'll see you next week